Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up and coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up and coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com members to get your first month free. What is going on, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with one of the co-founders of Stagrack, Joey Bridges. Joey, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Definitely. All right. So for the listener that may feel like they've heard of Stagrack before, we've actually interviewed uh, Joey's business partner, Levi, on the podcast a little while back, but we wanted to bring Stagrack back on to sort of uh, share all of the new things that are going on with Stagrack. And um, let's really start things off, uh, Joey, with you explaining to maybe the listeners that have missed that episode uh, really what Stagrack is all about. Yeah, sure thing. Um, So basically, um, we sell roof racks. That's all. Just kidding. Um, so we sell modular roof racks that um, attach to your car via vacuum cup. And so um, our big point is one car, any sport, um, being able to do it with different attachments. So we have ski and bike. Uh, we'll be coming out with kayak, surf, um, and the single bike attachment coming here soon. But essentially what we are is a roof rack that attaches to your car using vacuum cups. Um, each vacuum cup can uh, have about 200 pounds of pull strength, both lateral and vertical. And we got eight of them on there. So the word we like to use is just overbuilt, which is way overbuilt. So it gets onto your car there and it stays there. Um, And then essentially the way we've done it kind of passes savings along to you guys. One of the biggest reasons we started this roof rack company was because transporting our gear was just insanely expensive Um, to get all the right equipment. um, Everything was going to cost us well over a thousand dollars. And we're like, okay, something has to change here. So, um, we designed the the stag rack around that and also to fit cars that maybe have a tough time getting roof bars on there um, or even cars where you just don't want to drill in. Um, so yeah, roof rack company. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a smart idea. Like I, I'm thinking about all the cars I've had and I've only had SUVs because of <laughs> the roof rack compatibility of it. Right. Whether I'm skiing oh, yeah. or biking or whatever it is, I'm always like, I need to fit I, the, <laughs> my gear needs to be able to fit in or on top of my car <laughs> in some capacity. Oh, yeah. It was so, a classic problem. Um, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so it just, it makes so much sense. Um, and, and I guess I remember the first time I found you guys, um, I heard suction cups and I'm like, wait a second, (laughs) what if I'm driving 90 miles an hour down the highway? Like, how do you ensure that that is going to hold? And obviously at this point, you guys have had many years to really over-engineer it. Did you guys, do you have a background in engineering or how did you really figure that out? Yeah. So someone on our team um, has an engineering background from Oregon State and uh, 
he is really the one who confirms our crazy ideas essentially. So, um, with the vacuum cup model, um, you know, you could, you could get away via just, if you were to look at it numerically, um, again, each of those vacuum cups. So, um, also even just a quick difference, um, vacuum cup versus suction cups. So suction cups are the things, you know, you like see in the shower, you stick it on there and hang something from it, um, or whatever. And, um, vacuum cups kind of initially place on the same and then there's a little plunger um so you push that down and it just takes the air out of it and it really really seals it to your car um, elevation doesn't become a problem because there's no air in there um, and it just really really locks down to a, a wide range of surfaces so um you could probably get away with two three four of those and um we have there is other vacuum cup competitors in the space um, and so the, the vacuum cup model has a little bit of proven history there. Um, but we just decided, you know what, we're going to overbuild this thing. We want to provide incredible value to you guys. So we use basically twice as many vacuum cups as most people. And so we have eight on there and it provides over 1600 pounds of pull strength. So, um, it's seriously, seriously overbuilt. Um, so we put all those measures in place there. Um, not to mention we back it with a warranty. So if anything were to ever happen, um, of course we would be there to support you guys. Um, but yeah, we've overbuilt the sucker. We actually just got a DM a couple days ago via Instagram. Um, someone was saying that, you know, when you first have the rack on there, you're a little bit unsure of how it's going to be. You're like, Oh, I mean, so you kind of peek up, you're checking it out. Um, but once you get that confidence in it, it's really, really clear that that thing doesn't move. And he said, I was going to just try it. I needed to 100% trust it or I was going to have a tough time trusting it. So he said he was booking it from zero to 8,000 elevation around the mountains. And uh, he was going like 95, which we of course not recommend because that's above the speed limit. But um, he was just booking it and uh, he really had a, a fun time testing the strength and, and really just getting familiar with it. Um, we found our customers, they put it on the roof the first time, you know, they check it, want to make sure they do everything right. You drive around and yeah, those first couple of times you're driving around, um, first couple of minutes, you might be checking up. Is everything okay? And then you kind of feel how solid it is. And, um, and the fact that it's just really glued in there. So, um, yeah, we just overbuilt the sucker, make everyone feel better. Yeah. Else. That's awesome. It's, uh, giving me some flashback of, uh, being in Patagonia the last couple of weeks, uh, and getting a cab ride from the airport to our hostel. <laughs> and the cab rolls up and it's like this tiny sedan, Classic. And the guy looks at us and we look at him and we look at the ski bag and like he doesn't speak any English and we don't speak Spanish. And we're just like the roof. And like he's got these like little bars or whatever. And he had this rope. But like I'm just like looking at it. I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> I'm going to be stressed out this whole drive from the airport to the hostel. Yeah. Like just peering out, like hoping that the skis don't fly off the roof <laughs> and through yeah. someone's windshield behind us. <laughs> Uh, but oh, yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, it's stressful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with the the vacuum cups, do, is there any way in which they could cause damage to the roof of the car, or like how does that work? Yeah, that's honestly a super fair question. Uh, a lot of people ask that. So um, luckily, the answer is no. Um, so essentially, they just again remove all the air in there, and they vacuum to the car. Um, there's not as much pulling from the car. So, um, you know, if you have something like a wrap on your car, it's always good to be considerate of that. And you can shoot us an email or something just to double check because um, there's certain types that do work and certain types that don't. But for regular, just car paint, anything in that kind of realm, 
It's 100% safe. It doesn't leave any marks. The only marks you'll see are some dust that'll get on the car. We're not where the vacuum cup's at. So you'll take it off and you might see a little ring. Um, that's just because the dust went around. It leaves no marks in the car. Um, works great on glass as well. Um, so one of the biggest customers that we've seen actually really, really adopt the product are like Tesla owners because the whole roof is glass. Um, and that's kind of a question people oh, right, does yeah. glass work too? Uh, right. Does all this work? So um, as long as it's a fairly smooth surface, there's pretty much zero issue um, and it doesn't really leave any any residue or anything like that. So that's really awesome. All right. So you're, you're a Seattle-based company. Um, what would you say have kind of been the biggest changes since our last um, interview with you guys? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Biggest changes. So much has happened. So um, when we first ran our Kickstarter, I mean, we were kind of just figuring it out. Um, it was very slow process because regardless of what we improve from the business aspect, the product to you guys has to still be the same quality. So um, it took us a long time to figure out, okay, how do we get this product to be at a high level of quality for our customers, make sure it works every single time you put it on, nothing's weird or anything, just figuring out everything that comes with a new product in a business. So since then, um, probably one of the biggest things has been streamlining that. So we can get your product to you a lot quicker now. Um, Our quality control is even better. Um, just having processes in place to build these things and to be consistent every single time. Um, and then we're growing. I mean, so we've entered into, I think we're in six different countries now. Um, and so the stack rack is kind of going global. It's awesome. It's, it's fun to see people with them in their hands, getting feedback from them. Um, and then from there, we've been really kind of focusing on, okay, has this lifestyle really been good for us? I mean, entrepreneurship and starting a company and really putting yourself out there creatively with a product. Um, you know, we did it the first time and you can kind of look at yourselves and say, okay, well, is this what we truly want? And that's what we've all kind of come to the conclusion of is yes, this is the lifestyle that we want. This is, this is what we're passionate about. This is what we truly love is creating this, creating value for customers, having fun interactions with people, you know, helping people get to the mountain and snowboard, helping people go mountain bike. It's just been freaking awesome. I mean, it couldn't really be much better than that, especially because we love those sports too. So, um, we've just been growing and, um, getting better and better and talking with different companies, having partnerships. Um, we've just been learning an insane amount and, uh, it's kind of fun to move past the side of, okay, let's figure out this product. Let's figure out how to make this work. And now we're really into this mode of, okay, let's let's make this business work. Let's grow this thing. Let's um let's really get behind it. And it's fun whenever we get an order because someone believes in us. Someone's helping us get to that mission, that goal of of really just growing a company at this point and, and providing value to to not just hundreds of people, but thousands maybe one day, millions, who knows? And just and just really getting that out there and and having fun with it. So. It's been, it's been awesome. It's been a fun journey. Definitely. Now, let, let's talk about that growth a little bit more. Um, so you've done the Kickstarter campaign. Um, have most of the sales been direct to consumer? Or do you have some partnerships with brick and mortar? How, how have you kind of approached that? Yeah, there's... Um, so we've been made primarily direct to consumer. Um, so and again, I mean, this is kind of... I get into the business side of it. So sorry if I nerd out a little bit, but it literally, it's just so fun. I, I just love this stuff now. So. Um, it was a good problem to have, but um, we actually just recently got off of pre-order. Um, so essentially, we'd be kind of getting this money to to buy inventory, get that inventory, ship it out, 
Um, but when you're kind of dealing in these small batches, as we were for these first couple batches, there's overlap. Um, you know, if you if we were to sell, you know, let's say for example, six months ago, eight months ago, if someone just said, "Wow, this is amazing! I'm going to put it in a few of my stores. I'll order 20 of them," we'd have been like, "Holy crap!" Oh my God, we got to figure out how to get 20 of these things to them as soon as possible. Right, right, right. Um, so getting like that even in place, um, it just it just makes it a lot better. So the growth aspect of it and getting into retailers, um, we've actually just started recently having those conversations. Um, recently, even if I'm being candid, um, having conversations with potential investors and really just getting knowledge. So we've done a lot of self-learning and it's been really, really great. And of course you have to do it. Of course you have to figure out how to do it. But connecting with industry leaders um, out of this Northwest area, you guys could be um, familiar with the company Rerack, for example. Um, they they deal a lot in the roof rack space. It's their whole business. And um, even just connecting with the founder of them and, and people who have done marketing campaigns for other roof rack companies and just getting that knowledge and really connecting with them and saying, okay, we, we've started this. We've got it up on its feet a little bit here, you know, proven that it's it's working. But why do we have to do this alone? We don't have to do this alone. And connecting with those people who want to help, they see young entrepreneurs, they see someone starting a company, and a lot of them are avid skiers or bikers, and they're just like, oh my gosh, how can we help you? And so getting that support has been overwhelmingly awesome. Um, and so move, moving and growing, it's it's a slow process, and you don't want to rush it necessarily. Um, but we've kind of finally started to have those discussions with partnering with people, um, getting distributors, uh, maybe probably not in the near term, but maybe going retail one of these, um, one of these days. So, um, that growth has been happening, but as far as a sales perspective, we're still doing a lot of, uh, direct to consumer primarily. Right. And it's a small team, right? There's three of you kind of running the show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, no, I wasn't going to mention too much. Just, yeah, with, with three people, that's another limitation, too. Of course, it's, only it's so much you can do. That, <laughs> yeah, finding that right line of, okay, maybe we get an intern. Uh, maybe we get a, can we hire someone? I mean, um, and so even that that aspect, just balancing that. And, and again, we're all trying to figure out as we go, but the, at least we kind of locked onto this one thing of, yes, this is the lifestyle we want to pursue. So now it's kind of just figuring out as we go and, and growing and learning as we, as we proceed. Yeah, for sure. Um, now obviously over the years of developing this, you've had a lot of time tinkering with the design and manufacturing. What, what's that process been like? Um, like obviously one of the reasons for doing the pre-orders is so that you can, uh, basically go to your manufacturer and say, Hey, we want to have X mount built. We know we have the money for it. It kind of makes it easier. Mm-hmm. What's that sort of been like grappling with the whole supply demand and production piece? Yeah, the um the production's been pretty cool. So um and and it really is to be just quite frank. I mean, it's just knowing how to do it. And so um we had our we have our bike and ski and uh very shortly we'll be releasing the kayak, um surf and our single bike. Um and so working with those, I mean, it just it does take time just getting those drawings finalized, going back and forth a little bit, getting a sample putting it through the ringer because you want to know how it actually does in, in the real environment. You don't want to just buy them and then start selling them. Um, so it's been, it's been slow to be honest, but, um, at the same time, it's been, it's been also pretty great because, um, what's so great or so fun about the stag rack too, is that base unit system. Um, and so a brief explanation, 
of that um, because that really leads into a lot of future growth as well. Um, But the base unit has those vacuum cups on there. And those vacuum cups are what strap the car to your or strap the rack to your car. Um, But those are also one of the more expensive components. And so instead of recreating the whole rack every single time, um, we have a base unit. And then like, let's say, for example, you ski, buy the ski attachment. If you bike, buy the bike attachment. You don't have to buy the whole rack every single time. That's one of the biggest ways of how we can pass savings along to our customers. Um, But what's fun about that is, oh my gosh, there's a million different options. Uh, Light bars, maybe fishing poles, um, cargo racks. um, So at times, because the base unit, if you can fit something on it, you can fit anything on it. And so at times it gets a little overwhelming and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a million different things we could pursue. So that was even a learning for us was, okay, don't spread yourself too, too thin. Don't get 12 samples of 12 different products. Focus on one or two new products at a time, really get them dialed in. And then from there, you know, make sure your supplier and you are on the same page and, um, and then grow it outward and kind of go to the next product, go to the next product. So um, that's one thing we've been working through and, and just also supplier relations. Um, once they can kind of understand that, oh, okay, you guys are here for a little while, you know, you're not just a one and done customer. So I think suppliers kind of get a little bit nervous at first and, and over time being able to groom that relationship. It's just constant. It's ongoing, but it's been, it's been really fun so far. Definitely. Have, um, have there, have you ever had any customer feedback, um, I guess, ways in which they've used the rack, maybe less practical. We were like, Oh, wow, I didn't even really think about someone doing it that way. And it's totally a val- valuable, valid way to use it. Yeah. Um, I'll give, I'll give one kind of, kind of funky example. Um, and we were like, man, we got to get this thing. We got to get this thing up off the ground. So, um, Something that our customers have expressed a couple times is um, with that base unit, put that down, and then basically like a cargo rack. So let's say you have a small car, maybe it's just like a two seater car. Like that's a classic example. Um, so you don't have like any trunk space, you don't have much storage at all, and you want to be able to carry something on top. So this customer actually, um, they said, I love love the whole idea. Um, I'm just going camping right now, like this winter. And um, so they didn't end up buying a bike attachment but they bought a base unit and they like strapped their luggage to the base unit. And we were like, Oh my gosh, that's not a sign that we need to come out with something to help this guy out. Um, so he kind of went different route. He bought the base unit and then kind of just used it on his own. and was like, hey, right. Jerry rigged it himself. Things to this Cause yeah. So we were like, okay, when we get this thing settled, we'll give you like a discount or something because that's awesome. Um, so that's awesome. That's kind of a, Weird example, but it's kind of funny when it happened. Uh, what would you say has been the hardest part about starting and really building StackRack? Yeah. Um, honestly, a lot. I would say aligning your life to it. Um, because it there's t- days where you kind of just don't understand what's going on with your brain and in your life. But I mean, time management... And the fact that you're constantly thinking about something in a very strategic way, um, it's completely different. It's completely different than what you're used to unless you start doing it. Um, so being able to like manage, okay, it's 8, 9, 10, 11, midnight, 1 a.m., and my brain is just still going at a million miles per hour. I mean, I had a really tough time getting really solid nights of sleep for a little while because there's just so many things you can do. There's a million different things. and 
and finding time to be able to still enjoy life, but at the same time, work as hard as you can. Um, again, I kind of touched on it earlier, but it's really not just, Hey, let's make this product. It'd be awesome. And, and we'll do that. It's, it kind of started there and we hit the Kickstarter and we're like, Whoa, this is viable. People are liking it. And then it's really a switch of, okay, but is entrepreneurship right for you? I mean, I, I kind of hate using that word, honestly, because I feel like in today's society, people are like entrepreneurs or whatever. I don't really know. There's like a whole Instagram thing where people love to say it, but <laughs> it's a lot of freaking work. And it, it's really kind of changing the way you think about things and how you structure your days and what you do to tailor expectations for loved ones and friends. I mean, it's a whole different ball game. If someone, if something happens at 9 p.m. on Saturday, you might have to handle it. You might really have to kind of just stop what you're doing and handle it and um, and kind of just aligning your whole life to this whole process. And luckily, we love it. It's what we are. I feel like I was placed on this earth to do. Um, we are all just so into it and passionate. Um, but man, it's a lot of learning, especially when you come from a little bit of a more structured system, you know, school and, and nine to five life. Um, you kind of have to forget about a lot of those things. And um, so it's really been a, about that alignment of, of life and life and business, I guess. Yeah, it's it's very different. I've always I always try to explain this to to people and like you really don't understand it until like you're in the thick of it. But I haven't had like a traditional vacation in four years in the sense that like there's always even when I'm like, for example, I've spent the last three weeks in Patagonia, which is an incredible thing and an awesome opportunity. And I would never have been able to do this if it wasn't for Ready Yeti. But I also worked every single day. You know what I mean? In some capacity oh, where like yeah. I'd wake up early and I'd ski for a few hours or like do a tour or something like that. But then I'd come home and I'd work, you know, however many hours I needed to to get whatever projects are currently rolling done because if I'm not doing it, no one's doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, man. It's totally a real thing. Yeah. And it's stressful. And it's like, you got to hit your marks. Like if you don't, then like your revenue numbers are down for the month and then you make less and then you're stressed out because you're like, I'm spending money while I'm here. Uh, I hope there's enough to like pay myself a good way. You know what I mean? It's all of those things, which are like good problems to have. And like, they're totally manageable things. Right. But they're definitely like stressful and not the easiest things. And I know like maybe a lot of people see, especially like Instagram, Instagram, just social media in general, sort of like the glamour of it. And like, I know I'm like very fortunate, uh, to be doing what I'm doing. And like a lot of businesses fail within the first couple of years, but it's still a ton of work. And I feel like a lot of people don't, they only see the highlight reel and it's, I think it's so important for them to really understand how much work it actually is, you know, and there, you can't just turn your brain off sometimes because just something breaks, something goes wrong and you got to make it right with customer or someone you're working with and you just got to do whatever it takes. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. yeah. And when you're starting out, you are the business. I mean, if something needs to be done, you absolutely have to do it at any time. I mean, otherwise it's hard to really quantify those implications, right? I mean, you're like, because I think the other thing that's kind of weird is you can feel momentum in your business. You can feel when things are going good. You're like, okay, like we're stringing together some stuff. And it just takes one time of uh, just getting back to someone late or anything happening. And you're like, oh, I feel like I got to start over again. 
So yeah, couldn't agree more. And 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 to build off of that, it's like, uh, and I used to do this a lot. I'm I'm better at it now, but I still sometimes make this mistake where, like, when I do feel that like momentum and that things are humming well, I'll lift my foot off my foot off the gas a little bit, right, and like coast a little bit in some ways when I know I shouldn't. But then I will. And then, you know, a couple more weeks will go by and we'll be in a rut. And I'll be like, yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> you know, yeah. like <laughs> totally a mental thing. Like those businesses that fail in five years probably don't fail because their product, there was no chance that they were going to sell the product. But I mean, just switching your whole mentality. Like um, last week, we um, we actually won an award. It was uh, an entrepreneurship award through the um, entrepreneur organization. Um and it was it was really cool. And but the biggest part was just being around those people. Um, all those people there have businesses that are very, very established. They're not starting out by any means. So they're really all killing it. They're really, really successful. But man, you get around them and you just understand that mentality of they're getting better every single day. And it's like to really to really be in that takes a lot of time and it takes so much perseverance of trying to get better every single day. And like, it's a lot of mental work for sure. I mean, you're an employee of your company. So you have to do certain roles like supply chain and marketing and uh, whatever it is. But then you also have to constantly be thinking about, okay, how can we get better? So if I'm just doing what I need to do, nothing will grow. And so it's a, that's not the glamorous side of it. That's for sure. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But it's still fun, and you learn so much from doing it. And uh, you know, it's funny. Before I started Red Yeti, I was in finance for uh, a little while, and I think about like the amount of work that I would get done in an average day in that job, and compared to like now, and I'm like, oh man, I would never hire myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Oh, seriously. Like, I mean, it, it's weird. I think because you value, you have to end up valuing your time a lot more. And so 30 minutes, like at work, uh, like at a traditional, it could feel like, okay, nice, not, not too bad. But if like 30 minutes is all you have in a day to focus on growing or do something new or reaching out to a specific person, time becomes way more valuable. It's, it's really weird how that happens. It's like the most bland blanket ass statement. Yeah. <laughs> but over time it like actually like plays out and you're like, damn, like time is valuable. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And, it, and it's the whole, like, there's so many things at play there where like, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying of like, I don't even, I, I don't think this is a saying, but just the, the practicality <laughs> of it <laughs> now that I'm thinking through it, where it's like, you have a vacation coming up, say it's in two weeks. It's like those three days before you leave on that vacation are your most productive days because you, you, you have this deadline, right? Where after yeah. that you're gone. So you better have it done. <laughs> and of course you dragged your feet leading up to those last couple of days and then all of a sudden you're like this just machine that cranks everything out you know and you're just like wow yeah why the hell can't i be that productive all the time yeah you know and it's funny because that's kind of translated over to my work now where like a lot of the time i'll have my day structured around skiing or climbing or doing something you know outdoorsy because it's just that's such an important piece of my life and it just keeps me so 
grounded and sane and I'm more productive when I have those things in my life that like if I know, okay, I want to do like, for example, I was living up in New Hampshire for uh, February and March of last year. And we had an we have awesome backcountry skiing, like right at like literally a five minute walk from the house we had. And so we would we would tour at either super early in the morning or at 4 p.m. to like 730 in March when the sun was out a little later or whatever. And so like my deadline was 4 p.m. And so I was like, okay, if you procrastinate and you don't get your work done, then you can't go touring at four. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then of course I got it done. (laughs) Um, And it's funny how things just sort of take however long you give them. Right. Because your, your, your brain's just sort of like, yeah, I can slack off a little bit here. Like I don't need to take this as seriously. I'm going to scroll through Instagram or whatever it is, you know? But when you put those things more in perspective and you, put more things into your life that you really love to do and hate to have not <laughs> in your regular routine. Yeah. You, you just, it starts to all kind of like make sense and you're like, huh, this is how this works. <laughs> oh yeah. And like, if you give yourself a chance to, to be productive for long periods of time, you, you, yeah, it's always like, oh my God, what was I doing before? Like I could get so much done now. Like to truly be like, hundred percent productive for let's say seven hours in a row it like with stag uh recently of course now it's like man like there's so much to do that it's like man you really got to be on top of it and just do 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 that was a great way to put it but uh uh, yeah if, if you do that i mean you can really like set those deadlines and get so much more done than you you would have thought um especially when you don't have to rely on other people as much too. That's, I think a big part is, um, really having it all in your control. So if something's not getting done, it's cause you're not doing it, man. Yeah, you know? that's and true. So, <laughs> yeah. I constantly remind myself of that all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's always good. Like comparing yourself to others is a very unhealthy practice, but it's always good to like, think about the fact, or at least I do this sometimes that, Hey, like, you know, it might be a little bit tiring for you to feel right now of just this four hours of just grinding, but dude, people out there can do 12 hours of grinding. It's all in perspective. It's all in like reference. So it's just over time, you're going to get better at it too. I think that's the thing is you can't just expect yourself to be boom, like right off the gate, just, I'm going to kill it every single day. You really got to groom yourself and give yourself a chance to learn and get good at being productive in the amount of time you have. And and uh it's fun and going skiing afterwards is a great incentive that's for sure <laughs> would repeat that i'm a huge fan of dangling the carrot <laughs> in front yeah. of me as motivation yeah exactly like because if i'm not i'm like then i'm like and i know i'm like you're gonna be so pissed off at yourself if you botch this and don't get it done in time and everyone else is going skiing or climbing whatever it is you know what i mean and your ass is in front of your computer (laughs) working because you were too slow (laughs) oh yeah because you checked instagram exactly exactly 15 minutes and freaking added up yeah like you're just like jeez yeah. And and honestly, to take it a step further, it's you also learn about your own sort of productivity, like how to optimize your own productivity, because I, I'm a firm believer that everyone is sort of different in the sense that like some people are really good at working 12 hours straight and like no problem. 
get all their work done and then take their break, you know, enjoy the rest of their day. For me, I I work really well on like two to three hour intervals where I'm like, okay, I've got these four items and I want to get them done in the next two hours. Right. And then I'll give myself some kind of like leisure break, whether it's, um, you know, a lot like uh, there's a co-working space near climbing gym that I work out of. I'll go climb for an hour. Right. And then I'll come back, do another two to three hour session with a group of items that I know I can get done. And I kind of like batch my work and it, Mm -hmm. it prevents me from like burning out, but it also took me like two and a half years of like working myself to death (laughs) to like really figure that out. And I realized that working this way, I am so much more productive than just giving it a 12 hour, 16 hour straight grind. You know what I'm saying? The, the quality of the work comes out higher and some people are different. And it's just really understanding that about yourself and just really figuring that out. It's such an important piece of it. Yeah. And, and that's, what's kind of fun too, is you figure that out for yourself a little bit. And I wouldn't say I've got it fully figured out, but sometimes I'll do a schedule like that, for example, and maybe I feel guilty. I feel like I just feel like, oh, I'm not doing this for eight hours straight, but I come back so energized and recharged. That's so important to figure out how it works for you best, because if you're not energized about it, it's going to seep into business results at the end of the day. It's not going to just seep into like, oh, today I was a little bit slow, but tomorrow I'll come in with a better attitude. Um, yeah, it'll actually kind of make a difference. So it is important to figure out what's right for you. For sure. And it's also never perfect, right? Like, of course, I still have my days where I'm like, I didn't get anything done. I am so terrible at this. How do I, you know what I mean? Like just the inner monologue is just mean. (laughs) Well, that's good though. I'm hard on myself, I think on the inner monologue as well. Like if you, if I just have a a lazy day or something, it's like, damn, you got to really get after it next time. And I think that's good. I think it kind of shows you care a good amount versus just being, uh, being kind of complacent. Complacency kills. Yes. I couldn't agree more. Um, now what would you say have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made thus far with stag rack? Oh my gosh. My favorite one, um, to bring up, it's really the only like mistake we made too. And, um, it's, uh, it was during the Kickstarter phase, but it really taught us the importance of figuring out who you're working with and cultural differences as well. So when we um, were doing our Kickstarter, we had a um, uh, uh, plant over in Shenzhen. Um, they were helping us with some prototypes and injection molding and um, getting getting basically our product set up. And so we were working with them and December, things are going great. We're, you know, we're kind of in the middle of that Kickstarter. We the Kickstarter launched in October. And then... Uh, from January, the whole month of January, it was just boom, just silent. We were like, oh my God, did they freaking rip us off or did the building collapse? Like what happened? Like we literally had no contact. And, um, you know, looking back, there was a little bit of like indication, but as it turns out, they do a um, Chinese New Year um, every year and the whole, they, they take the whole month off. Like, and oh wow. A couple <laughs> days beforehand and the couple days after, they're just ramping up production. So you don't want to necessarily be involved then. And so it was really like, I mean, yeah, totally. We were like, what that's the thing they let i mean everybody and everything takes the entire month off they really shut it down of course there's some things here and there but they shut it down and i so that was just a funny mistake and i think it delayed our kickstarter by like three or three weeks or so and um luckily we weren't one of those kickstarters who didn't deliver so that's a a benefit but um still stressful kind of oh it was yeah it was definitely a bummer and we're like oh my gosh so that was just a mistake of not understanding where we're working in the world um 
and that's another like thing of keeping up with news. Like I read the news so much more now because, um, you know, selling to different markets, having suppliers in different markets. I mean, it really makes a difference to understand all that stuff. So not being in tune with the world and the world economy and stuff like that was definitely a mistake that we made. And was a, that was a quick one to learn. So. Yeah, for sure. So how long did it take you to figure out that it was the, the, the that they were taking the month off? Like, was it like pretty quickly or did were you like a week or two in? You're like, all right, so uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it was like, I mean, it was a couple of days because sometimes you never know. Maybe they just get back to you in a day or, or two. Usually uh, suppliers are very, very fast about responding. But um, it was like, OK, a couple of days have gone by. Like, what's up? So I um, sent another message. And then I think. Um, I think I Googled something about, you know, what to do if you're a supplier. I mean, this is how, this is how much we have, how far we've come. This is Googled what, what, what's a good way to contact your supplier if they're not replying via email. And it was like brought up the fact that this month is a bad month for suppliers and they probably won't respond. Then I just, yeah, then I just Googled Chinese New Year and it was just a flood of things. I was like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. So that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Lesson yeah, learned. It was. It was definitely like lesson learned. It wasn't the end of the world, which is nice. Like something catastrophic didn't happen, but it was like, damn, that was a that was a little lesson. Yeah, for sure. And then of course, I'm sure you learned how um, forgiving kick, the Kickstarter community can be if you are transparent about the slowdowns. Yeah, that was nice, and um, it was good. And uh, even last week, I was talking to a couple people who have started businesses, and they've actually ran a couple Kickstarters, and they were like. You know, three weeks delay on Kickstarter is not the worst thing we've ever heard from a Kickstarter outcome. So um, that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's very normal. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, they were very, uh, the community was very, very, interesting. I don't even think we got one complaint actually, um, which is maybe part due to transparency, but I think also just the flexibility and support that that community has, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that I honestly, I think that's been my hardest part. The hardest part for me about building a business is disappointing people. Um, because like, you're not perfect, you're human and you're going to make mistakes just like, you know, I have with my business. And, you know, when you get sort of a, a criticism, it's hard to, um, not let that like really affect you. And I think over time, like I've gotten better at it more so just because like, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to bend over backwards and do whatever is necessary to make that person happy. But sometimes people just don't understand what actually happened and just want to vent and don't actually care about you helping <laughs> to like solve uh, the issue. Yeah. And like, it took me a while to like get okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Like the classic, I keep it in my mind a little bit because I mean, we we're, we're such a young company still, but we, I mean, we've had both hate and praise and so we've gotten a couple different of these scenarios but essentially someone will direct message us on instagram and like one guy he was like man this is the worst idea i've ever heard i mean it was just negative it was like what are you doing spending your time being negative but oh well i'm gonna respond and be very positive so there's kind of like two scenarios that come from that and um the first one was like oh so you know i'm sorry you feel that way i'd love to be able to jump on a call like we maybe we could talk through how we really truly think we bring value to the marketplace He's just being very positive and um that conversation will either end with okay whatever um they'll, they'll just kind of, kind of a neutral response um versus some response sometimes and this has really only happened a couple of times but it was kind of recent like maybe a month and a half ago someone kind of same thing, direct message us, kind of just being negative for no reason. You're like, okay, so here we go. 
um, and just respond back very positive. And by the end of it, they go, man, that's awesome. You guys, this product is really cool. Um, good luck to you guys. And so you can really flip those conversations too. But um, I agree. I mean, eventually, but we're not at a place, I don't think yet, where we, you know, there's too much both positive and negative feedback coming in to the point where you right, have to block right. it out. Yeah, it's I mean, fun to respond back and be like, okay, let's see if we can get this guy <laughs> to become a fan at the end of it. And sometimes they do. It's kind yeah, of, of course. Yeah, no. For us, it's like with, with our membership. So, like, we, we run our membership, which is a yearly subscription, which offers like a ton of perks related to the outdoor space on products, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we, we've had members where like they'll sign up three years ago, right? And then just forget about their membership. And like we constantly communicate with our members, but sometimes they yeah. unsubscribe or like just ignore the communication, right? And then they they like randomly check their bank statements, and they're just like, "What is this charge? What have you been scamming us?" And I'm like, "Listen, like I'm I, like we'll refund the whole thing, but just so you know, you've been signed up for this amount of time. This is when you joined. This is how you did it. Like we're not a scam. This is a real thing. Yeah. We'll do whatever. Like, you know what I mean? It's like those sorts of things. We're just like, hey, not all businesses are evil." <laughs> Definitely. And I think there is maybe, you know, who knows, maybe just bad experiences. Maybe that person just ends up freaking signing up for things all the time. So then they think that the world's after them. And so it's like, or maybe that one person who DM'd us, it's like, maybe they've had really negative product experiences. And then the company will be like, we don't care about you. And like, ah, what? This is crazy. The world is evil. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I think it's just, and if you can be positive and just respond back kind of a way that's probably surprising, like, oh my God, like refunding their money. I mean, that's pretty cool, actually. I mean, like, for them to just be like, oh, I didn't expect that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would have been that upset if I if I knew they were just going to refund me. Like, it's like, yeah, we could see your activity. Actually, oh my gosh, you have been very inactive or whatever. So, um, that's cool. I mean, I think that's the right way to go about it. Is just film with kindness. Yeah, I mean, that's really what you got to do at this point, right? Um, all right, so let's let's wrap things up with um, the future of Stag Rack. Where do you see this? And I guess you've touched on a little bit with like all the different types of, of racks that you want to introduce in the future, but where do you really see Stag Rack going in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Yeah, um, great question. I think that kind of comes down to what I was talking about earlier, which is the business side of it. I mean, Put, it's a lot different to put a product out there. Um, I mean, first, ours actually is kind of an invention as well. It's a unique new product. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but putting a product out there is also very, very different than growing a business. And so, you know, you touched on it, new products, um, entering into new markets. Um, but a lot of the future growth for us, and another reason why, you know, I'll say it on the podcast here, like, if you guys can support us, this is what you're supporting is, is us growing as a business and learning as young entrepreneurs um, and really just being able to chase this passion and this dream. And um, so for us, the biggest things are going to be connecting with the industry. Um, we've kind of been doing it on our own a little bit saying, hey, we've, hey, look at us. This is a cool product. Check it out. Um, versus getting some ties into the community, um, becoming part of the action sports, the outdoor industry, not just being our own product. So. That's going to be a big one and, and forming potential strategic partnerships. Um, and then for us, the, the real the core of it is um, is getting our inventory and getting the sales um, to support new inventory, um, really, really kind of getting those very, very ironed out um, to the point where you can just say, OK, all that's settled. Let's just let it run. Let's do a marketing campaign, um, whatever it is. So. 
for us is going to be growing it and also allowing it to support us um, a little bit more as well. Um, we don't really take any money from Stag right now. Um, we've we've been focusing on growth, and it's the way to do it, absolutely. But for us to be able to focus two thousand percent of our effort and time on this um, is going to take some sales. It's going to take you know ironing out this process of making sure that our business is sound and financially healthy um, and getting those partnerships and distributing to other areas. And, um, and really we have a really good base out of the Pacific Northwest and there's so many opportunities for just the other week. My um, girlfriend was mountain biking with her family. They did like a little bike rental and the person there at the rental station had 10 different bike racks to fit different rental cars. And so they gave uh, her our card, actually. And she's like, what? So I, I even emailed her and she's like, this is awesome. Like, this will help us so much. And so really kind of getting gritty about it and saying, OK, let's get scrappy. Let's find all these little channels. Let's make these relationships because you never know after you make a relationship with a distributor, uh, maybe even a sales rep, um, a small retail store, um, someone who does tours and rentals. You never know what that next step is going to be. And I think that's a big thing for us is shifting our mentality into saying, you know what? These are worth it. These are good opportunities to pursue. So as we get more time, as we you know, lock down our sales and um, inventory and sourcing, as we kind of get all those things refined, it's going to be about that very natural and slow growth within the community. So I don't think we're going to jump towards REI. Like We're not going to jump towards Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, you know, that, that's, that's probably a little ways down the road. It's going to be really going around the Pacific Northwest. I mean, expos, events, there's so many different things where you can really kind of get tied into the community, um, and grow our following and get more feedback. And so for us, really, it's going to be, I mean, if I were just to say one thing, it'd be kind of that natural growth. Um, some of these guys out here and they're serious businessmen and businesswomen, they know how to do this. They can, they can turn a product and get it in Ikea. You know, for example, not our product, but um, other style products. And that's a way to do business 100%. But I think that's a little bit over our head. And I don't think that's what we want with Stagrack. I think with Stagrack, we want it to get into the community and serve people who really need it, who don't want to install permanent roof bars on their car, who don't want to lose gas mileage, who want something that could work on their whole family's car. So you don't just have to use one Suburban like you were talking about earlier and carry all your boards, um, small cars, whatever. And so finding those people and I think just starting with something that sounds so simple, but can be easy to overlook is just fixing those pain points and actually just providing value to the people who need it. And then from there, the word scaling can, can happen. Then from there, you know, big retailers or distribution channels, then those can happen. But right now, what we need to focus on is just providing value to those who need it, probably out of the Pacific Northwest. For some reason, a lot of people order them from Australia. Um, so, you know, pursuing those other markets as well. Um, and then from there, it's kind of that the more business side of things. But for us, it's just it's really about that slow, natural um, and just fun growth. So that's awesome. And uh, I'm definitely excited to see how how Stag grows in the future. And anyone who's listening to this episode before October 15th can actually enter to win a rack from Stag Rack along with a ton of other Woo! bike gear. So get excited and just head over to Red Yeti for your chance to win. And with that, Joey, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and giving us an update on Stag and all the great things you guys are doing. 
Yeah, it's been super fun, Josh. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready 80 Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.